Blog Talk Radio. The Keys is proud to announce the communicators airing. The Keys is proud to announce the communicators. Airing Saturdays at 7 p.m. with your host, Brother Leroy, from the heart of Harlem, USA. Don't forget, every Saturday, 7 p.m., The Communicator, with your host, Brother Leroy, on the Keys Network. This portion of The Keys was brought to us by Rafika Consultants and Services, LLC. Rafika Consultants and Services, LLC is on the cutting edge of emerging technologies for designing online classes and providing face-to-face and virtual technology training or help with computer programs, web design, and graphic arts. We also provide biography writing services for websites. For more information, give us a call at 631-399-0149. That's 631-399-0149. On Blog Talk Radio was brought to you by The Fluffs Present the Alphabet, now found in paperback, sporting a five-star rating on Amazon.com. This portion of the key was brought to us by Moon107.com. Moon 107, fashions and gifts that bring out the best in you. Moon 107 is an online retail store featuring women's and men's clothing and a gift shop. The woman's shop features stylish tunics, suits and accessories and offers the well-dressed woman an outlet to find the perfect gift for self or for someone else. The men's shop offers classy French cuffed shirts for the well-dressed man. The gift shop offers organic skin, hair, bath accessories, and inspirational music imported from Africa, India, and Asia, as well as jewelry and accessories. Moon 107, fashions and gifts that bring out the best in you. Don't forget to visit moon107.com. This is Respect for Life. This is Respect for Life. This is Respect for Life coming to you over blogtalkradio.com forward slash the keys 107. That's how you got here. And that's how you can advise others to tune in this evening. www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash the keys 107. There's a telephone number for those who do not have Internet. So those of you who are listening by way of Internet and you know individuals who would like to hear this program, 
and I haven't even told you about it yet, but I think the average person is going to want to know the information that's going to be shared this evening over blogtalkradio.com forward slash the keys 107 because it relates to the finances of America, at least a portion dealing with Wall Street, an area that many of us heard about but really don't know a lot about how it's working and how it did, uh, well, how it was saved by the bank bailout. I'm Governor Leroy, and I'm thankful to the Most High for blessing us with another day on this good earth, another day to do some good deeds for ourselves, for our families, and for humanity. One of the best good deeds that you can do, aside from wishing someone else the very best that you possibly can, one of the best things that you can do is share valuable information with others. Valuable information doesn't mean a top secret or scandal or something like that. Valuable information enables a person to get out of the fog, which is the dumbing down of America. A lot of information is available. However, the vast majority of Americans, according to scholars who have studied this, have been dumbed down to the extent that a reality show or video game or gossip is more important than gaining information. So this uh, program, Respect for Life, brought to you through the Keys 107, is geared to giving you a classroom opportunity. Classroom opportunity means that you have the opportunity to ask questions. And today I do not pose as an expert in the area of finance. However, I know that there are large numbers of you who have been alerted to the fact that Les Leopold, the author of The Looting of America and his current book, How to Make a Million Dollars an Hour, that you've been alerted that he's on and you're going to wait to see what he says, but you will have the opportunity to ask a question. Telephone number 213-943. Hold on a second. I'm, I'm telling you what the telephone number is, and every time I do that, there is a little glitch. I'll get to the telephone number in the in the second. No, I'm sorry. 213-943-3618. 213-943-3618. And you'll hit one, the number one on your telephone keypad, and that alerts our engineer that you have a question. We'll be going into questions in about 15, 20 minutes. Do we have Les Leopold on the line? Yes, you do. Oh, fantastic. Thank you very much, Les, for joining us. Ladies and gentlemen, Les Leopold is the author, as I mentioned, the author of The Looting of America, and his current book is How to Make a Million Dollars an Hour. And it's the story of the hedge funds, their successes, maybe at the expense of a lot of taxpayers, maybe at the expense of a lot of pensions. But we'll get into that as we go through the interview with him. What is most important is that Les Leopold writes about Wall Street, and uh, on an interview with Gary Knoll last week, he said with his first book, The Looting of America, he was naive on some things. So his uh, most current book, How to Make a Million Dollars an Hour, he's sharing with us some of those things that he learned. Les, thank you for joining us. And let's start right there. You were naive in your first book, The Looting of America, and uh, you learned some very valuable things that you've included in the 
the current book, How to Make a Million Dollars an Hour, uh, go back to your purpose of writing The Looting of America. Well, again, thank you very much for having me. It's a real uh, honor to be on your show. Uh, I I started writing uh, The Looting of America because these uh, five school districts right near where my in-laws live in Wisconsin uh, got involved in um, uh, a broker told them to buy, borrow money and buy these securities to help them pay their pension fund stuff for their teachers. And they they thought they were buying kind of a mutual fund of uh, stocks and bonds, and they borrowed, uh, put up money and borrowed $200 million. And in six months, they lost it all. Mm. Uh, and I, I couldn't figure out how, how could that happen. And uh, I was brought out there by uh, uh, the teachers' union, in fact, brought me out there to try to help them understand uh, why this happened. And I started investigating these very complicated financial instruments that they bought, and uh, I was trying to make sense of them, and it just looked like they had some bad luck. I mean, they, they bought something they should never have bought, and then it, it, the stock, the, uh, the housing market exploded, and uh, and they lost all this money. So I thought, geez, you know, that was just terrible, terrible luck. And, of course, the stuff that they bought should have never been sold to them, and there's a big lawsuit going on, and they're going to win their, their lawsuit, uh, and I think they're going to get all their money back. But they've gone through hell. And I was just trying to figure out, well, you know, how did this happen? So I kind of wrote it off to, to, you know, somebody selling them something that they shouldn't have been selling, and then bad luck. Well, <laughs> I find out that bad luck had nothing to do with it, that I was just scratching the surface in my first book, uh, that there was another game going on, a far, far more dangerous game, uh, where uh, here's what was going on in Wall Street, uh, and I'm going to use an example I think everyone will understand. Imagine this, uh, that I'm, a, I'm building a house. I'm a builder, and I uh, build a house, and I sell it to you. But I build it in such a way that it's faulty, and I know it's going to collapse within the first six months. Then what I do is, unbeknownst to you, I go out and take an insurance policy on your house, and I collect the insurance when the house collapses. Mm. Now, there's no place in our economy where that's permitted. However, it is permitted on Wall Street, and that's exactly what they did. Uh, they put together financial instruments that were designed to fail. In other words, what these uh, uh, poor school officials bought was actually designed to collapse within six months so that the other party who sold it to them could collect the insurance payments on uh, on, on what they had, uh, uh, at, what, at what collapsed. Now, when I looked into this, I said, well, what is going on here? How can we allow this to happen? Uh, and that led to my uh, this investigation of uh, this outrageous way that uh, uh, high finance in Wall Street is, is permitted to make money. It's so outrageous that even when I was spending a year writing the book the first time, my mind could not open up mm. enough. You know what I mean? To see mm. that someone could do this. As a matter of fact, I've got to tell you a funny story that's in, that's in the book. I have a cousin. I have one uh, cousin, Norman. I have one cousin who's done very, very well. In the, in, in, he's, he was a builder of senior citizen housing down in uh, middle-income senior citizen housing near the, in the Washington area. And, uh, you know, he's built 
lots of developments, and they've done very well, and he's well off. So I was explaining to him this thing that was going on in Wisconsin, and he couldn't get it. He couldn't get it. Uh, and, uh, you know, I did the best to try to convince him that I understood it. But you know what? I didn't really understand it. And I, afterwards, uh, I said to myself, well, why couldn't we figure this out? Well, we couldn't figure it out because in the 40 years that he was doing business, he never, ever was involved in a situation where someone was trying to sell him something designed to fail so they could collect money on, on the insurance. We're in our system. We're in the, in, the, in, the, in the entire world. Is that permitted? Is that uh, allowed? Is that ethical? So uh, that led me, that got me going. I said, well, how do these guys do it? So I looked at uh, these things called hedge funds. And um, hedge funds exist within banks and they exist uh, outside of banks. But basically, it's a place where very rich people, you have to have a million dollars minimum to invest in them. And they become like your investment brokers for very, very rich people. And the first thing I discovered is that very rich people expect to make more money from their money just by giving it to somebody else to invest than you and I could possibly imagine. We're hoping right now to get 1% or 2% of our, in our savings, maybe 1%. They're hoping to get 10 15 20% return. So that's the first thing. So how does somebody make 10 or 15 or 20% return? Well, I started looking at the literature, and I found out that all these people are being praised. They're so smart. They know all these uh, great ways to invest, and they, they take these wonderful chances, and they're, they're really good gamblers. And I realized that it was all hokum. It's not that they're, uh, they're smart, but it's not that they're taking super chances. They're rigging the game. So when I ended up, this, this I, I wrote this book like a 12-step guide, and many of the steps are literally steps designed to rig the game. Uh, and I can, I can walk you through a bunch of them, but the one that, that, that got me going was I'm going to sell you a house or a car, design for it to crash in six months, and then I'm going to collect the insurance. There's a name for that. It's called the Synthetic Collateralized Debt Obligation. And they, they were all over the economy. And... Uh, 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 they made millions, billions of dollars for people. And uh, there's now there's lawsuits going on all over the place. But, uh, you know, no one's been arrested for this. No one's been uh, personally uh, liable. Companies have been liable, but nobody's personally had to pay back the profits that they made. It's really quite astounding. This, let me give you one more thing that got me going. One, one gentleman who was playing this game with a large bank the bank was uh, Goldman Sachs. I, I won't mention the guy because he tried to sue me. Uh, in in uh, 2010, this is two years after the financial crash, he made as much money in one hour in that year, one hour, as the average American family makes in 47 years. Mm. So mm. when we think about inequality in America, you know, we don't know the half of it. And, you know, you said something very, very uh, insightful in your introduction. We're in a fog. We don't, have a we don't have a sense of the big picture. We have all these partial explanations, but we don't see what's really going on. The inequality that we're facing now is like nothing we've ever faced before. I don't think it's been this bad since the time of the pharaohs. I mean, hmm. you've got to go way back to get it this bad. One hour of work for this gentleman, he, doing these bets, these bets that were designed to fail. 
uh, one hour of work equals 47 years of the average American. No, this guy no. makes more in one year. He makes a hundred wow. times more than Tiger Woods, a hundred times huh. more than Oprah, and we're letting it happen. So I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to ring the alarm. I'm, you know, you know, those kids out there with Occupy Wall Street, they were right. <laughs> they were <laughs> right. Something's very rotten in the state of our financial system. We have to do something about it. Les Leopold is our guest, and ladies and gentlemen, when you have the opportunity, go into YouTube, put his name in, and you'll see various clips of his presentations at uh, various venues. This is Respect for Life. The Keys 107 Network brings this to you, and you'll have an opportunity to join in the conversation in a few minutes. Telephone number 213-943-3618-213-943-3618, and hit 1 on your telephone keypad that lets our engineer know that you have a question. Now, let's go through some of the chapters in your book. Rip off entire countries because that's where the money is. Uh, share with us your insights there. Well, uh, it turns out that one of, the, one of the best games that these hedge fund players play is they, they try to put nations into distress so that they can win their bets. Wow. Uh, and <laughs> and uh, there was something very interesting going on you know, uh, after World War II, it was American policy to try to put Europe together in a common market so that um, it would never go to war against itself again. You would never see Germany fighting any other countries. That You'd integrate their economies to such an extent that there would be no reason ever for them to uh, uh, be hostile towards each other. That was our policy. And then the other part of the policy was to make it thrive so that it wouldn't be fall into the communist camp. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, as a result, there were certain uh, constraints put on uh, currencies. Well, one hedge fund uh, trader, uh, a guy named uh, Soros, very smart guy, uh, uh, I think is a person who really cares, but his, 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 uh, he and his, his cohorts figured out that uh, England's exchange rate uh, wasn't right. And so they bet against the exchange rate, and they threw billions of dollars against the exchange rate, to the po- and then other banks jumped in, to the point where England couldn't defend their exchange rate anymore. And uh, they ended up uh, losing uh, several billion dollars, maybe $10, $20 billion from their treasury. And much of it ended up in the, in the pockets of these hedge fund traders. It was the first really, really big trade. And... Uh, uh, it, the money was basically transferred from the people of England, who are going to have less money in their treasury, to a handful of traders. And uh, what was the redeeming value of that? Well, Soros said, well, it, 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 it's going to push them towards the euro, and if that happens and it puts me out of business, that's a good thing. Well, it did. the euro did come up. So, they, so then the hedge fund people started betting against uh, uh, the bonds of the different nations, and they're doing it again. They're playing the same game. They're trying to push the companies into distress. But here was the interesting thing. It wasn't just like they were gambling, like you're taking a bet. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. No, they were, they were actually creating the outcome that they wanted to see happen. They were pushing the country into distress so they could win their bet. And that's what we've allowed to happen now in the financial system uh, by letting these uh, what they call shadow banks operate at will around the world. 
Okay, uh, and it's, it's a very dangerous situation. Les, I need you to just take your time. I need you to go back over some concepts sure. that the average person is not aware of. And I, sure. I include myself as an average person, okay? I'm there with so, you, too. Don't worry about it. Okay. All right, so the the Soros and his people bet against the the um, the exchange rate of, of the English, British pound. The British yeah. pound. Now, what does that mean, betting against? What's what's involved in that? Who who takes it's called shorting? It's called shorting. Okay. Uh, uh, basically, the Bank of England. They were they were they were in a war with the Bank of England. They mm. were daring the Bank of England to uh, what they call defend the exchange rate. Uh, it's all laid out as clear as I could possibly do it in, in that first chapter of how to make a million dollars an hour. In that second uh, second okay. chapter, I mean. Uh, okay. But basically, what I think a listener ought to know is uh, exchange rates can uh, fluctuate. Uh, and uh, if if people think an exchange rate is going to go down, they start selling the currency because they don't want to be stuck with it because it's going to buy less. Mm-hmm. Right? If the exchange rate's going down, they're going to be stuck with something that's, that's less valuable tomorrow than it is today. Well, if you can convince a lot of people to start selling something, you get a self-fulfilling prophecy. Whoa! I better. I got. It's going down. I better get out. The next guy says it's going down. I better get out. Pretty soon it starts going down. Mm-hmm. And then Soros was Soros was able to then collect. The more it went down, the more he made, and he now, made a billion dollars on that maneuver. One billion dollars. No, uh, the the forces that are brought into play in order to put a country in distress, uh, they, they vary. What role would media play as an asset to a hedge? Ah, well, now you're getting into some of the other techniques. Let, let, let me put let, let me let me put us onto some uh, easier to understand ground. You, you actually picked the toughest one. Uh, the Soros move is, is 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 one of the toughest ones to understand. The media is very important because uh, hedge funds can use the media to uh, put out false rumors. So uh, I could say that uh, your company or your bank is in trouble. And if, if I can get a, uh, a respected media person to say that on the air, well, then everybody starts selling the stock of firm, right? Mm-hmm. And, and if I took a bet against, if I already had bet against the bank, this rumor is going to make me rich because the more the bank stock goes down, the more money I make because I bet against it. So here's let me give you a really uh, don't just take my word for it. You know Jim Cramer from Mad Money on TV, the one that's always yelling and make and, yeah and the crazy guy intimidating yeah. well, those who don't yeah. know better. Yeah. Well, he's actually an interesting fellow in that he used to run a hedge fund, and he's the only person I came across that really was willing to say what he did. And there's this uh, interview with him. And, a guy, and uh, actually, one of his employees, because he, he owns a uh, part owner of uh, WallStreet.com, and one of his employees was interviewing him for uh, WallStreet.com. And uh, and Kramer basically said, "Now catch this." Kramer is on uh, uh, CNBC, right? He's on the cable mm-hmm. network. He actually said that to to make money for his hedge fund, he would plant stories with his coworkers at CNBC that were lies. 
he would plant lies with his co-workers who believed him and then reported it on the air, and then he would collect the money by making the stock go up or down. Can you imagine that? Can you And he admits it. And he, he basically says, he says point blank, that if you're not willing to do these kinds of things, you should not be in this business, the hedge fund business. So he's admitting, he admitted in his interview that it is an ethically challenged business, to be sure. But the guy, I gotta give, you know, I gotta give him credit that he at least told the truth. He even mentioned the name of the reporter that he had manipulated. Can you imagine that? Now that uh, he's got to be a little crazy to do that. It, the statute of limitations, of course, were over. But imagine if you're that reporter and you hear that you. I mean, he must have heard this. Uh, uh, so that's one way to do it. So if I if I want a stock to go up, I make I take a big position on that stock, and then I go and plant a story with a reporter that says all these great things about that company, and I get the guy to. Uh, it's a false story, but I get the guy to put it out in news. You got to do it very cleverly, and Kramer was in the business, so he knew how to do it very cleverly. So yeah, that made me wonder how much more stuff do they do? Right, they, and a lot more. Then I go to the trial uh, of a guy named Raj Rashomon, uh, right? The Raj. I don't know if you yeah. remember him. He was down on Foley Street. There was a. Uh, I went to his sentencing. Actually, he's a billionaire hedge fund guy. He made a billion dollars. Matter of fact, his hedge fund was worth. He's like the twenty fourth richest guy in the United States, or something. Mm. Uh, uh, and here's how he made his money. Uh, now, now, this guy was super successful, and he gave money away all over the place to victims in Bangladesh and hurricanes and floods and, you know, very philanthropic. So he, he what he did is he developed sources inside the boardrooms of prestigious companies, and they would give him tips. So let me let me tell you one that that that's kind of, again, I think the average listener will understand this and find this amazing. He had a source who has now also been convicted on the board of Goldman Sachs. In 2008, in the fall of 2008, Goldman Sachs was in trouble. All the banks were in trouble. Uh, and one after the other was on the verge of going down because uh, no one was going to lend them any money anymore. So Goldman Sachs uh, uh, got Warren Buffett, the probably the most respected investor in the United States, to put $5 billion into Goldman Sachs as an investment. Now, of course, everybody in the world would know that if, if Warren Buffett's going to invest in Goldman Sachs, Goldman Sachs must be pretty good, right? So uh-huh. this investment, this investment the, the decision uh, was announced to the board at like 4.20 p.m. on a Friday. And then Goldman Sachs, after the closing bell in the stock market at 4.30 was going to announce this to uh, the public. And then, you know, Monday morning, the stock, of course, was going to shoot up. Uh, so the Raj, uh, his source, calls him up at 422 from his cell phone inside the boardroom and tells him Warren Buffett's buying $5, million, uh, $5 billion worth of Goldman Sachs or loaning $5 billion to Goldman Sachs. The Raj goes out buy stock, sells it Monday morning, and makes nine hundred thousand dollars. Nine hundred now, see, we all like to say, well, Wall Street's a casino. Well I was thinking about that, and actually we're giving casinos a bad thing. 
because a casino is a game of chance. Uh, if it's a public casino, it's regulated, right? Mm. We know, the odds are posted. You know what the odds are for a slot machine, for a crap table, for a roulette, and somebody comes and checks to make sure that the, the you know the game isn't being tilted, that they're you know the, the wheel isn't uh, being that you're not being cheated off the odds that are publicly posted. Well, these guys don't like to play that way because there's too much chance. They want a sure thing, so they're going after a sure thing. So that's another technique. By the way, uh, when I started, uh, if I could, I'd like to share a personal experience here, give people a sense of, of how these guys play the game. I, I, uh, I wrote about this uh, building a house for, and then watching it collapse so you can collect the insurance. I wrote sure. about that uh, on Huffington Post, and I named names. And I said, uh, well, uh, if these guys are so smart, because there are all these books written about how smart they are and how great they were, they predicted the housing bubble collapse. And I'm thinking, wow, if you were so smart, what did you need to rig the game for? Uh, why would you be involved in a near criminal conspiracy? Whoa. Because mm. I used the word criminal, mm. these lawyers came down like a ton of bricks on Huffington Post, and they were all, they were all over me. And I said, wait a second. I said near criminal conspiracy. That's like nearly having conjugal relations with your wife. You know, mm-hmm. near. It didn't mm-hmm. happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, right? But, oh, no, no, they're, they're all over me. So then, uh, so after about a week, uh, we agreed to remove the piece. So you can't find that piece anymore. Because uh, I didn't have, I didn't, frankly, I didn't have the muscle to uh, take them on. You know, okay. I would, so then what happens? Uh, my agent gets uh, a call from uh, a publisher saying, could we see uh, a proposal for Leopold's next book, the book that I'm t- talking about now, How to Make a Million Dollars an Hour. And the agent says, well, yeah, sure, what's your name? He says, oh, well, just send it to this address. Uh, a publisher wants to keep this quiet. So my agent says, we can't do that. Who are you? And then the uh, guy wouldn't say, wouldn't say. And I realized what was going on is now I'm being investigated. So I'm thinking, I'm just this two-bit blogger, and these guys that are making billions of dollars a year are so uptight that they're going to try to control the information. This takes us back to the point that you made in your introduction, which is they don't want this information to get out. Because if the American people knew how rigged the game really was, and if they knew how these guys are uh, basically, if they knew how bad the income distribution really was, they wouldn't put up with this deficit discussion. They would be all over Wall Street just like the kids were, you know, uh, a couple of years ago. Mm. There would be hell to pay. We would have a movement that was challenging Wall Street. And that's exactly what we need because the reason we're in trouble as a country, you know, these guys are, we, we're the richest country on earth, and yet we act like we're poor. If we look at our infrastructure, our schools, our highways, right. and, you know, yeah. it, it looks terrible. Why? Because the money is held in private hands. And and the heart of the problem is Wall Street. It's way, way too big. It needs to be cut down to size. And, you know, there's lots of good proposals out there for doing it. And the sooner we do it, we have to break up these big banks. We have to put a tax on their gambling. We have to remove money from Wall Street and put it into Main Street. And there there's no deficit problem. The problem is the concentration of money and power on Wall Street. And that's what this book is about. It's about the 
power. Anybody who can read can un- read this book and understand how exactly. these guys go about uh, making money in unethically sound ways and why we need to do something about it. Les Leopold is our guest, ladies and gentlemen. This is Respect for Life coming to you over to blogtalkradio.com forward slash the keys 107. And remember that this show will be archived for your friends and relatives who have not had an opportunity to tune in during the live interview. They can access it by going to the same website that I've mentioned, blogtalkradio.com forward slash the keys 107. Look for Respect for Life with host Brother Leroy. Now, we're going to some announcements, and when we come back, we're very happy to entertain your questions, 213-943-3618, and hit one on your telephone keypad that lets our engineer know that you have a question, that you want to join in this classroom, which is going to get even more informative in the last half hour. So stay tuned. We'll be back with less Leopold, the author of How to Make a Million Dollars an Hour. Keys 107 and the FOI Board of Directors is proud to present The Final Call. The Final Call is the country's unique leading source for news. Founded by the Honorable Louis Farrakhan, National Representative of the Most Honorable Elijah Muhammad in the Nation of Islam, The Final Call follows in the tradition of Muhammad Speaks with hard-hitting national and international news and coverage of political issues. It is the official communications organ of the Nation of Islam. Founded in the 1930s as the final call to Islam, the newspaper evolved into Muhammad Speaks in the 1960s and boasted a circulation of 900,000 a week with monthly circulation of 2.5 million. Today, the Final Call newspaper serves a readership of diverse economic and educational backgrounds, including circulation in North America, Europe, Africa, and the Caribbean. Read the Final Call newspaper. You can find one of the beautifully bow-tied representatives in your community or read FinalCall.com. This portion of the keys was brought to us by Rafika Consultants and Services, LLC. Rafika Consultants and Services, LLC is on the cutting edge of emerging technologies for designing online classes and providing face-to-face and virtual technology training or help with computer programs, web design, and graphic arts. We also provide biography writing services for websites. For more information, give us a call at 631-399-0149. That's 631-399-0149. On Blog Talk Radio was brought to you by The Fluffs Present the Alphabet, now found in paperback, sporting a five-star rating on Amazon.com. This portion of the keys was brought to us by Moon107.com. Moon 107, fashions and gifts that bring out the best in you. Moon 107 is an online retail store featuring women's and men's clothing and a gift shop. The woman's shop features stylish tunics, suits and accessories and offers the well
well-dressed woman an outlet to find the perfect gift for self or for someone else. The men's shop offers classy French cuffed shirts for the well-dressed man. The gift shop offers organic skin, hair, bath accessories, and inspirational music imported from Africa, India, and Asia, as well as jewelry and accessories. Moon 107, fashions and gifts that bring out the best in you. Don't forget to visit moon107.com. Ladies and gentlemen, we're back with Les Leopold. He's the author of How to Make a Million Dollars an Hour, a story, a, a factual account of the hedge funds, their operations in the late 70s through 80s, etc., and uh, how they have generated billions of dollars for their owners and for their staffs. You have the opportunity to call in 213-943-3618, 213 You've mentioned there is no deficit problem. And um, part of your book talks about the um, strategies of the hedge fund, of the people who control the hedge funds or those those who benefit from it, to keep talking about deficit and and spending problems, et cetera, of of the nation. And what is that strategy? Just go into breaking up that strategy as it as it is a strategy that plays into their hands to gain more wealth. Well, I mean, it, it, it's very uh, it's a story that if, it's like a fairy tale. If I tell you the story, you you say no, no, that couldn't possibly happen. Here's what happened. Right? <laughs> These guys. Remember, they're inside the banks and outside the banks. The, the hedge funds exist inside the banks as well. They're called proprietary tra- trading desks, but the same thing. They pumped up the housing bubble through these uh, through this game that I was telling about, building things that, that would uh, uh, basically they they found a way to uh, try to turn uh, these subprime mortgages, these bad mortgages, uh, to package them, sell them and then they bet against them. They, they built this huge housing bubble up and made a fortune and made more money. Wall Street more, made more money on that housing bubble than anything they'd ever made uh, done before in the history of Wall Street. Then when it crashed, uh, they were making money at first by betting against it as, as, as it was starting to go down. Uh, then when it got really bad, right, uh, where 9 million people lost their jobs in a matter of a few months, uh, the economy uh, got bailed out. So the, ba- the very banks... Uh, and hedge funds that caused the problem to begin with got uh, saved. Instead of going under, uh, they got saved because they were so big that if they went under, they would have taken us all uh, down with them. So they so they got saved, and they uh, were able to uh, start making money again. But the cost of saving them was, uh, and the cost of what they did to the economy created a big deficit problem, right? People weren't working, so they weren't paying their taxes. Businesses went under, so they weren't paying taxes. Uh, sales taxes went down, and then uh, public employees had to be laid off. Unemployment insurance went went up, so you had expenses going up. Uh, food stamps, those kinds of things all went up, and revenues went down. Of course, you get a big deficit. So then the bankers start complaining about the deficits. They go, oh, this is terrible, because they, they're dying to have the conversation switch from them to 
uh, life. Because now they can say, see, Social Security is too expensive, Medicare is too expensive, Medicaid is too expensive, you've got to tighten your belt. We can't afford it. Uh, we're, we're in trouble. We can't afford it. So th- they were part of that uh, uh, great uh, cry for, matter, matter of fact, the irony of all this, the guy that's pushing the deficit stuff the most is a guy named Pete Peterson. And he made his money in, a, it's called private equity fund, but it's kind of like a hedge fund. And, and one of the reasons he pays so much money is they have a special tax loophole where their income is taxed only at 15% instead of at the top rate of, uh, at that point, 36%. So here's a guy who's been, in a sense, cheating the federal government for years, a billionaire paying only 15% instead of what he should have been paying. And now he's complaining that the government is uh, uh, spending mm. more than it has. So, so mm. the cool thing that happened was, if you, I don't, it's hard to take the clock back and remember, but in the summer of 2011, uh, President Obama was willing to do that grand bargain to cut the deficit. He was even willing to shave some points off of Social Security, Medicare, et cetera, and the Republicans turned it down. Then came Occupy Wall Street in the fall, and the whole conversation in the country switched to inequality and, and, and uh, Wall Street. And wow. the slogan should have been, Wall Street should pay for the damage it created. They took down the economy. They should pay to put it back together again. Mm-hmm. You know, they broke it. They should mm-hmm. pay to fix it. Uh, and that conversation was happening. And I, I, I was writing about this all the time. I said, watch what's going to happen. The second Occupy Wall Street stops, the conversation is going to go back to deficits. And sure enough, uh, you know, when the winter set in and, and uh, the mm-hmm. encampments were removed all over the country, the conversation went from 1%, 99% back to deficit. Right. So now we're having a we're having a conversation about how we all of us should sacrifice to pay for the problem that Wall Street created by taking down the economy. How crazy is that? Mm. So I've sort of dedicated kind of my uh, writing life to trying to get people to say, "Wait a second, that's just not right." Uh, the 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 super rich people that drove the economy into the ground they owe us. Uh, there's no deficit problem. Mm. If they pay their fair share, there's no deficit problem. A small sales tax on uh, stock and bond transactions will uh, more than take care of any deficit they're talking about. They shouldn't touch one penny from Medicare, Medicaid, or Social Security. Not one penny should be cut from social programs in the United States. As a matter of fact, every time we cut the social uh, budget in the United States, uh, the social uh, uh, welfare budget, we end up laying off more public workers which only adds to the problem. Uh, make Wall Street pay for the damage it has done. Uh, and that's the conversation they, they don't want to see. And, you know, I, I, they're going to do their best to, to silence people like me. Uh, uh, one way or the other, they're going, to, you know, they're, they're going to make sure that that word doesn't get out. Let's, when I listen, uh, go ahead. Let, or, I'm sorry. In terms of the, the going back to, uh, to uh, taking advantage, uh, rip off an entire country, uh, putting it in distress. A few years ago, um, a gentleman by the name of Perkins read the, read, wrote the book "Economic uh, Confessions of an Economic Hitman," where they intentionally got uh, countries by way of the IMF and, and other uh, um, uh, sources where they borrow money to to build uh, major. Uh, public works such as dams and that sort of thing uh-huh. or redoing ports that had very little, uh, it fit right in with um, 
creating a project, creating a creating a product that would fail. Uh, they would get the countries, or they get the strategy. Or first of all, are you familiar with the book, Confessions of an Economic? Only by name. I, only by name. Okay. I have not read it. Well, the strategy he lays out is that uh, these same interests, not hedge funds, but he they come by way of uh, financial assets. They send people into a country. They get the country to buy into some project that's going to put them in debt and, quote, in distress. And then they get them to sell. Because they're in debt, they get them to sell their their water rights, their their utilities, and that sort of thing. And that's that's that game there. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's. A, I'm, I'm only. It's funny. I'm only looking at one part of the game. The game is very huge, as you're pointing out. There's oh. lots of other ways to play it. And I'm, I'm, the reason I brought it up is is that what involvement might hedge funds have in what we've seen happen in Iceland, in Ireland, in Greece, in Portugal? Um, they're there. They're, they're 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 there trying to uh, uh, trying to take advantage of the stress. But the, 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 uh, so they're, they're kind of like uh, uh, bottom fishers, as it, you know. They're, they're okay. trying to, to they're trying to rock the boat. So that if they can get the, the get the uh, you know if they can get the, the the bond to collapse, then they can make money on the downside. If they can get, if if it's going to go the other way, they want to be on the upside. They're playing that game all the time. There's a few of them that do it uh, uh, quite quite regularly. But the ones I wanted to concentrate on were the ones that actually created the problem in the first place. They took down the American economy. See, I'm not just talking about business as usual. I'm not talk. I'm not talking about the normal everyday ripoffs that go on. You know, but somehow we all survive and we still have jobs and we can, you know, send our kids to school and lead a decent life. I'm talking about the, the games that they played that took the whole thing down. And the fact that they took it down meant that we had to build it back up again and go into debt. And now they want us to pay back the debt uh, that basically went to them. Uh, hmm. Nobody yet, I haven't seen one executive yet that's had to personally fork over money that was made in the past off of these uh, unethical moves. They haven't had to. They, they, it's their shareholders that are paying paying it. Uh, I, 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 I have a piece actually right now on Huffington Post called "Is Wall Street's uh, 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 Business Plan Corrupt?" Because there are so many examples now of things that they did uh, that even go beyond what I, I put in the book because they keep coming out every day. Uh, they. I can't even. I, I, we don't have time to go through them all. But they they come when when your job is to make money for money. It becomes very difficult for you to uh, care about what the impact of your work is because you never see it. The victims are thousands or miles away. They're, you never face them. You're just moving money back and forth on a screen. And uh, and the only way you're rewarded is by how much money you make. The product doesn't matter. The, the, nobody knows what the product is. It's just making money for money. And that's now led. You need some of that in any economy because it, it, it basically creates a lubrication. If you can buy and sell things quickly, it's good. It, le- it allows people to move in and out of different investments, allows companies to get money when they need it and to build things and put people to work. It, there's a lot of reasons to have a certain amount of speculative activity. But when it becomes the major event, 
Your economy is in deep trouble. Uh, uh, I, I'm trying to uh, ring the bell. We're in deep trouble. It's going to happen again. <laughs> it's no, going to no. happen again. Less when when this is not a subject within your book. When you when you look at the big picture, or or stretching out further than the book uh, focuses on, a question that I've always been asking is how could a nation pass laws that would send their manufacturing jobs abroad and create what actually is structural, a portion of the employment is structural unemployment because those factors that were there uh, 20, 30 years ago are not there to employ people in terms of the manufacturing. How does how does the nation... I'm sorry? How does a nation do that? I mean, we're, when I say a nation, how do the leaders, what is the intent? How can you move jobs out of your your, your country and it's the number one manufacturing uh, producer in the world at that time before yeah, now? Well, it, 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 it's a very good question. Uh, uh, the, the thing to do is compare uh, the United States to uh, Germany or Sweden. Uh they also compete on an international scale. But uh, in Germany, though, they, uh, first of all, unions are much stronger. So uh, the level, the income level is higher all across the board. So uh, it wouldn't be a disaster if your manufacturing left for China if the people in Walmart were making $20 an hour or $25 an hour. If they were unionized, then uh, if if if, if like in Sweden, 90% of the workers are unionized, the wages are high throughout the economy. So if you work at McDonald's in, uh, this is the irony of all ironies, you work at McDonald's in Stockholm, you're going to get twice as much as you get working in the United States, and you're going to get a month's paid vacation and all kinds of other benefits. So you can have a much higher standard of living if you are uh, willing to invest in your own people. So it's not just that the shops ran away. That's a very uh, uh, important point, and you're absolutely right. But it's, it's that you let the economy as a whole get uh, downgraded by destroying your unions, get, uh, not, uh, not raising the minimum wage, and basically allowing all the money that was, uh, extra money that was made, to go into the hands of the top uh, 1%. Okay. That's okay, our let's, problem. Unless we're going to uh, call a caller, you're on the air. Thank you for your patience. God bless you. Your question, please. Yes, uh, good evening, uh, gentlemen. Um, Les, I uh, will ask my question and I'll listen over the um, over the phone. Um, I'd like to, I guess it's in three parts, I'd like you to talk about, um, since the advent of computers, what they call high-frequency trading oh. and naked trading. Oh, my favorite topic. Thank you. Yes, and also... Uh, I understand that we have 1.5 quadrillion in derivatives worldwide, which these mega banks, et cetera, have roped into the, these signed on these countries to, except for Iceland, who said no, we don't sign on, and they had a different result. I also they like, had it very, yes, very good. I, I also like you to talk about what Webster Tarpley calls the Tobin tax where uh, there were, you mentioned it earlier, a small, small percentage on each transaction. But in New York 
state. If you're in New York, uh, that tax that used to go to the state from Wall Street now gets rebated back to them. And um, I'll listen over the air, and thank okay, you. Okay, first of all, this caller should be on the show as the main speaker because she's obviously <laughs> very, very impressive. Uh, let, me, let me see what I can do. Uh, let me hit two of them that I'm very, very familiar with, the Tobin tax and the uh, uh, high-speed trading. Another chapter of the book, one of the other steps is high-frequency trading. And again, it, uh, it, it's a question of uh, doing something that is uh, foolproof. And what the, here's what happens. They, um, they set up these very expensive computer systems right next to the stock exchange. They cost them a lot of money to, to rent that space. So they're literally the wires that go into their computers are right net coming. Uh, there's no delay. There's no, like, uh, uh, millisecond delay. They're getting this stuff in nanoseconds, in a billionth of a second. And what they can do with the information is they, they can figure out, let's say you're on E-Trade or something. You're going to, on your computer, you're going to buy a share, 100 shares of something for $10 a share. Uh, so you're, you, let's say that you're, 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 you're using your uh, IRA or 401k or something like that, or your mutual fund's going to do that, or your pension fund's going to do that. Well, they're able to intercept that message and go into the market and buy what you want to buy before you get there and sell it back to you at a sure. price slightly more than what you thought you were going to pay. So by the time you press the button and by the time you see what you ended up paying, they will evade a couple of pennies a share off of you. And mm. it happens automatically, happens almost at the speed of light. And mm. they can't lose, right, because they, they basically see the future. They see what you're going to do, and they mm. beat you mm. to it. They make between 5 and $20 billion a year doing that. Uh, one guy was interviewed that I quote in the book. I went, I've actually, I, I went to interview these guys who protect, try to protect their clients from this kind of uh, stuff. But, uh, so they told me all about it. But uh, uh, I also read about this one guy who was bragging that he, uh, he'd been doing this for five years, his company, had not had one day in which they lost money, okay? Not one day. And for him, holding a stock for the long term was, guess how long? A long-term hold for him was two seconds. Wow. Two seconds. So these guys are, are they're making millions of trades in a second automatically through their computers. They have you know, high-priced uh, computer experts, programmers, scientists who are helping them do this. And it has absolutely no redeeming virtue whatsoever, whatsoever for the economy. In fact, it creates risk because you, cause sometimes these things go awry and you see this enormous, because it's automatic, these enormous crashes. One day uh, something went awry in this uh, uh, well, there's thousands of these mini crashes that take place, but one took place where the stock market crashed 600 points in a matter of a few minutes because of all these programs were going wild at the same time. So that we've allowed that to happen. Now, the way to stop this is uh, uh, the caller uh, so expertly mentioned, the, the real name is a guy named James Tobin, a Yale economist, passed away, Nobel laureate. He saw all this coming in the 1970s. He said, when... when, we, when uh, when we got off the gold standard after uh, after all the years on after World War II, and uh, it's complicated, but basically exchange rates were able to fluctuate, and money was able to move rapidly from country to country. He said, "Whoa, when that happens, you're going to have the money destabilizing countries. You're going to have the Soros type thing 
he predicted the Soros thing 10 years before it happened, 15 mm. years before it happened. He said, it's inevitable. So he says, what you have to do, you have to slow it down. You have to pour, he, he said, pour sand into the wheels of finance. Mm. And the way you do that is you make them pay a small transaction tax every single time they make a transaction. So if this guy, if they're going to make a million trades in a second, they're going to pay that sales tax a million times in a second. And that will slow down that high-speed trading. Matter of fact, it will eliminate much of it because really what it amounts to is a hidden tax. Right now, people say, oh, I don't want to pay a Tobin tax, it's sometimes called the financial transaction tax or Robin Hood tax. I don't want to pay that. Uh, first of all, 99% uh, uh, of it would be coming from Wall Street people, not from you. And second of all, you're already paying it, you're, except you're paying it to the private high-speed traders. They're collecting the Tobin tax right now, putting it in oh, their pocket. Right. That's what's going on. Uh, the third point your caller made about derivatives and credit default swaps, uh, I believe she was referring to that. That's the insurance policies that I was talking about before. And I think they should be outlawed. There's you know, $600 trillion. I think they should just say, can't do that anymore. See, let me look at this final point. Uh, in, uh, um, in housing, we learned 800 years ago, 800 years ago, that you do not let somebody take out an insurance policy on their neighbor's house because the house is likely to burn down if you let somebody who doesn't live in that house take out the insurance. Yes. Yeah. So, they, so you have to have an insurable interest. In finance, that's not true. In finance, I can take out an insurance policy on stocks that I don't own, on bonds that I don't own. So mm. once I do that, it's in my interest to try to uh, drive those stocks into the ground because mm. I don't own them. Mm. So uh, you don't have to have an insurable interest in finance. They think that's cool. They think that's, like, really good for the system, and, it, and it's what's breaking it. And, and, and my message is the reason, you know, I write something like how to make a million dollars an hour is I'm trying to ring an alarm bell. We didn't fix Wall Street. We didn't fix it. It's a clear and present danger. It's going to happen again. Uh, I can't tell you when it's going to happen, but it has to happen again. And guess what? They are bigger now than they were before. They were too big to fail before. They're bigger now. They, the, the biggest banks got bigger. We're going to bail them out again. That's, I, I can't predict anything else but to say that if they go under, I guarantee you we will bail them out again. And then we'll be having the same conversation about, geez, how do we pay back all this debt? You know, what, uh, what kids' program should we cut this time? Maybe we should take it out on the immigrants. We have too many immigrants. We're going to get all distracted. Follow the, the money. The deflecting of focus uh, brings me that that brings brings me once again to uh, the the bundling of the the mortgages. And after that was exposed, then they came up with. The poor people were buying homes that they should not have bought. Oh, did I go after that one? Oh, go my God. What a lie. Holy cow. Uh, you know you know the programs they have in the government that help lower-income people, uh, the Community Readjustment Act programs? That was designed to keep banks from screwing low-income people. By saying, yeah, you qualify, but we don't like your neighborhood so because it's you know minority, so we're not going to give you a loan. So now they had to give you a loan. Well, you know, they've done study after study of what happened to those loans. They didn't default any worse than anybody else's loans. Mm. They're 30-year mortgages. They're not 
subprime mortgages. They're solid 30-year mortgages. Yes, some of the people had problems and defaulted. They're in the same percentage as a middle-income suburbanite white person. That's not what was going on. It was these all. It was these uh, uh, subprime mortgages that they bundled. And you know, I've got a couple of chapters that explain exactly how they step by step how they did it. But the goal. Uh, oh, don't get me going on this. this it, it's outrageous. They got the rating agencies to give them AAA ratings to say this stuff is as good as gold, and it was crap. It was a Ponzi scheme. Now that's the, it was literally uh, a Ponzi scheme. They make Bernie Madoff look like an angel. Now, Lick, um, I'm I'm not right on top of it, but I know that there's an indictment or there's a trial with Standard and Poor's right now. Is is that an indictment or? Or a trial that it's, yeah it, it's not a trial yet it's a it's a it's a right. uh, there's the suit it's a civil suit. suit okay and and uh, civil these now if if it goes the way these things have been going and it gets to a point they'll pay up some money and nobody goes to jail oh nobody's going to jail it's a civil suit nobody's going to jail that they, they're, they're, they're nobody's going to jail but here's the here's here's what bothers me the most when I hear people in Washington start saying, oh, my God, we have to do something about the deficit because we lost our rating from the rating agencies from AAA to AA. I go, what are you drinking? What are you smoking? How could you pay attention to the rating agencies? They are basically the lapdogs of Wall Street. They they have no credibility. They misrated all those bonds, uh, all those mortgage-backed securities. Uh, they, They misrated... Thousands of them, thousands, and you're going to listen to them when they say that uh, the United States is in danger of default. Let me just say one thing clearly from an economic standpoint. Any country that prints prints their own money cannot default. It's impossible for the United States to default uh, unless Congress doesn't want to pay the bills because you can always print more money and pay back whatever in your own currency. As long as you have your own currency – you can never default. So this is a canard, a joke, and that anybody that listens to Standard and Poor's uh, and, and and uses that in Congress, I go, my God, you're crazy. It's like saying, you know, it's like uh, it's like asking the criminals uh, to, to to make uh, decisions for you. So uh, we got a long way to go. You know, the economic education you're talking about at the beginning here goes for the whole, goes for Washington too. When I listen to what's going on now, I, f- I really feel like Alice in Wonderland. How could they be talking about these things? Why aren't they talking about Wall Street? They're afraid to. When we, in, in conclusion, when we listen, okay, what you're sharing in the book, in the two books, The Looting of America and How to Make a Million Dollars an Hour, it, you're one of the voices that's out here uh, pumping out information regarding just how the country got into its its state, uh, financial state right now. And when we, in light of that, when we listen to various news programs or business channels or commentators, and they're not saying what you're saying, and they they sound as though they believe in what they're saying. I mean, it's just the opposite of what you're talking about. I'm talking about they're talking about deficit. They're talking about cutting mm-hmm. Social Security. They're talking about all those things, and they've they re, re, uh, term 
Social Security from a benefit into an entitlement. So psychologically, uh, you're you're getting an entitlement that you aren't entitled to. So the the it, it's for me when I listen to some of these guys, I'm asking, how is it that they're pretending that they don't know what the game is really about, and can the the interest that one percent that has the majority of the income own so many people in media. Maybe well, look, it may sound naive. Here, here's no protection. Here, let, 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 let me be an optimist here for a second. Occupy Wall Street, a bunch of ragtag kids, right? Out of nowhere, turn the whole conversation upside down. Those same media people you're talking about were tripping over themselves. I was down at Sakati Park. There were so many media there. They were interviewing each other. They were, like, beside themselves with the story. They were all over the 1%, the 99%, Wall Street, the whole thing, unemployment. Mm. So the story changes when there's a movement on the ground. The okay. story changed in the 1880s and 1890s when there was a populist movement, and then there was a progressive movement in the, in the, uh, early in the 20th century, and then there was a labor movement, then there was a civil rights movement. Every time there's a movement, an anti-war movement, a women's movement, environmental movement. It changes the conversation. The media goes to where the action is. No action, and they end up just repeating what they're all saying to each other. So we have to build a movement. The kids showed us it was possible. Unfortunately, we didn't follow through, but we're going to get another chance. Okay. And your advice to uh, the listeners, uh, your information in the book, for before you answer, is for my experience with the book, it is accessible, and that is one of the reasons why we have you on the air, is that not only is the information good that you're sharing, but the book is accessible. It is, it is not a difficult read for a non-financial person. Non-financial meaning you, all you know is that you invest in stock by way of your union or whatever, but you don't know the game of Wall Street. This book will enable families or groups of individuals to get above the 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 crowd the the herd and be in a better position to determine the truth or the non-truth of what they hear whether it's uh, over the air or whether it's someone trying to sell them on something that really is of no value to them now that's my endorsement of the book and well, my thank you. advice to thank you. Well, it's my advice to the people who get this book and use it in, in a study group mode, and that way they can exchange information on it on a weekly basis. Uh, what is your advice to the listeners and the audience, the average person out there, the middle income person also, as to uh, the the value of this book and what we should be about? Well, I, I really, you said it all. My, I, I'm not a financial expert. I, I'm, I've spent my life in uh, doing education for working adults, community organizations, so I have a pretty good feel for how to make something accessible. So I think that I'm glad that you felt that I succeeded there because that's what I was trying to do. I'm trying to make these concepts accessible because in a democracy, we have to be able to uh, be economically literate. Otherwise, they're going to walk all over us. So my goal is to get us economically literate. And I think people okay. will find that as they read this, they're going to hear other voices in the media, on the Internet, radio. You're going to hear people 
that are on the same wavelength. You're going to say, ah, yeah, no, I get that. That's how that clicks in. Right. And it'll make, I hope it makes you stronger. Beautiful, beautiful. Leslie Apoll is our guest, ladies and gentlemen. Once again, the book is How to Make a Million Dollars an Hour. That's his current book. The book before that is The Looting of America. Both of these deal with Wall Street, uh, the 2008, 2007, 2008 bubble, etc., and bringing us up to the present so that we can be more knowledgeable. And that's what this classroom has been about this evening with Les Leopold. Uh, is there a website for you or your book? The uh, best place to just get it is on Amazon. Just go to okay. Amazon. has a lot of information on it. All right, beautiful. Leslie Apoll, thank you very much. God bless you and your family. Same to you. Thank you very much. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for your support of the Keys 107 Network. We have various programs throughout the week on the Keys 107. We advise you to go to the website and peruse the various selections and go into the archives and listen to the various programs and uh, make a point to put them on your calendar, those that uh, or in tune with what your interests are. Uh, this coming Saturday, we'll be back, the good Lord willing, on the Keys 107 network, and that's the communicators. We'll be on at 8 o'clock. At 7 o'clock on the Internet is Minister Farrakhan on NOI.org, www.NOI.org. He's on from 7 until 8, right after that, you can tune us in. We'll have an exciting guest for you, exciting in terms of information. And please support the advertisers that you hear after I sign off. May God continue to bless all of you. I want to thank Brother Jason, Brother Jason, Brother Forrest, Brother James, Sister Rafika, Brother Elijah, Brother Andre, and all the rest who make it possible for us to share information over the Keys 107 Network. God bless you all. Peace. This portion of the keys was brought to us by Rafika Consultants and Services, LLC. Rafika Consultants and Services, LLC is on the cutting edge of emerging technologies for designing online classes and providing face-to-face -face and virtual technology training or help with computer programs, web design, and graphic arts. We also provide biography writing services for websites. For more information, give us a call at 631-399-0149. That's 631-399-0149. On Blog Talk Radio was brought to you by The Fluffs Present the Alphabet, now found in paperback, sporting a five-star rating on Amazon.com. This portion of the key was brought to us by Moon107.com. Moon 107, fashions and gifts that bring out the best in you. Moon 107 is an online retail store featuring women's and men's clothing and a gift shop. The woman's shop features stylish tunics, suits and accessories 
and offers the well-dressed woman an outlet to find the perfect gift for self or for someone else. The men's shop offers classy French cuffed shirts for the well-dressed man. The gift shop offers organic skin, hair, bath accessories, and inspirational music imported from Africa, India, and Asia, as well as jewelry and accessories. Moon 107, fashions and gifts that bring out the best in you. Don't forget to visit moon107.com. The Keys 107 Radio Guide. The following reside within the Eastern Standard Time Zone. Sunday evenings from 8 to 9.30. Unlawful captives. Issues within and without the prison industrial complex. With your host, Jason X. And special guest hosts, Brother Richard Muhammad and Brother Abdul Salam Muhammad. Monday, 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. Build your business with Greg Jones. Hosted by Sister Rafika Muhammad. Secrets and Strategies of Business Building, Credit and Finance. Tuesday, Questions, When Did Noah Build the Ark? Answer, Before the Flood. Disaster Preparedness for Community Awareness with your host, Brother Rudolph Muhammad, from 4 to 5, 20 p.m. Tuesdays from 5.30 to 6.30. Join the Worldwide Peacekeepers Movement with the Peacekeepers Roll Call. Captain Dennis Muhammad and the Peacekeepers, hosted by Sister Rafika Muhammad. Tuesdays from 7 to 9, Respect for Life, with your host, Brother Leroy, exploring timely and important topics and guests fostering knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. Wednesday evening from 6 to 7 p.m., it's Urban, it's Popular, it's Hoodrich Magazine, with your host, J.R. Strong. Join the Keys 107, Divas of Culture, Sisters Michelle Matir and Aisha Karifa Smart for Creatively Speaking, bringing you the best in diasporic art, culture, leisure, and spirituality from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. Thursday evening, our flagship show, The Keys 107, opening the doors to endless possibilities with your host, Sister Rafika Muhammad and Brother James T. Muhammad from 6 p.m. to 7.45 from 8 to 9 p.m., join hosts Sister LaShawn Allen Muhammad and Brother Malik Green for Black Reconstruction, building the black community with bricks of knowledge and mortar of love. From 9.30 to 10.30, True School with your host Shango Blake as he brings parents, students, and educators together to deconstruct the school-to-prison pipeline. Friday evenings will be a Keys 107 special marathon. Saturdays from 4 to 6 p.m., State of Affairs with your host, Stan Smith, Culture and Political Affairs of the Caribbean Diaspora. 7 to 9.30, The Communicators with your host, Black Leroy, Everything Black from a Black Perspective. The Keys 107, Unlocking the Doors to Endless Possibilities. www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash The Keys 107 or call in at 213-943-3618. Email us at thekeys107 at gmail.com. If The Keys 107 isn't on your blog talk radio, then your blog talk radio isn't really on. Yeah. 